Well, it's been, it has been, and uh, it continues to be a significant week in the life of our country. And we're all well aware of all that's been going on with, with the election and the declarations and the lawsuits and the celebrations and the protests and the potential recounts. It has all been quite a spectacle. In light of these events, there was an article in the news on Thursday that there were some hospitals in California that were on alert for an influx of patients with election stress disorder. Apparently, that's a real thing. <laughs> and, and these hospitals, they, they warned their staffs to be extra aware, to be on guard for patients that were, that were coming in, uh, that, that were presenting with symptoms that could represent an acute heart attack or, or an acute neurological disease like a stroke. And the article mentioned that, that during particularly stressful or anxious events, like the one that, that our nation has just been through, that folks could potentially experience things like panic attacks and excessive fears and worrying and fatigue and insomnia and an inability to focus that can cause problems, um, irritability, changes in your weight, a lack of motivation, among other things. And so my question for you this morning is how have you responded to the events of the past week? In your heart, in your mind, with your words and, and with your actions? What have you said? What have you done? What have you thought? What have you felt? As we've just lived through another divisive campaign season and another incredibly close and controversial and, and to many a stressful election, how are you responding to all of this? Maybe you've responded with, with fascination, right? You haven't been able to take your eyes off of the TV. And you've been checking your news feed a, a dozen times each hour, hoping for, for any updated information, no matter how small it might be. Maybe you've responded with, with frustration. You may be so tired of, of political speak and political ads and political news and politicking that you've just had it up to here. The slightest things or the smallest pieces of news seem to, seem to set you on edge and kind of get you off of your rocker. Maybe you've responded with exhaustion. You, you feel like this has been going on for so long that you, you're just worn out. You just want it to be over. Maybe the length and the tenor of this campaign hasn't led you to exhaustion, but to apathy. You're so tired of the fact that we always seem to be in spaces like this, but, but that nothing ever seems to change, and so you just don't care anymore. You've just become apathetic to it all. Maybe you've responded with anxiety. You're worried that the courts will overturn the outcome of the election, or, or maybe you're worried that they won't. So you've worked yourself up into a, a tension-filled ball of stress. You can't really relax. You may not be able to sleep as well as a result. Maybe you've responded with anger. You really wanted Trump to win. You believed that his policies were, were best for us, and you're angry at the liberal left and where they want to take our country. Or maybe you're angry at Trump and the fact that he's challenging uh, voting counts even though he's lost. And even though he's not going to win another term as president, you're, you're still mad at him for the way he's handled the, the past few days and the past few years. Maybe that anger has come out in harsh language or cruel commentary towards one group of people or another. 
After the news came out yesterday that the election had been called, maybe you responded with, with elation or depression, with, with peace and inner peace or panic. There are a myriad of ways that you could have responded to the events of the past few days. All of these are natural. All of these are, are human responses to the joys and the frustrations that you may have experienced. No matter how you've responded in this past week, and no matter which of these emotions you may have experienced in these days, our scripture passage this morning encourages really an entirely different type of response to all that we've been through and are continuing to go through with this election. It's a response that that doesn't come naturally in a situation like this. And if it does come naturally to you, then, then I believe there's a decent chance that you're probably thinking about it wrongly. Yet, it's a response that is critical for a moment like the one in which we are in. Both for our own physical and spiritual health, and for the, for the witness and the well-being and the witness of the church in the world. And so it's a response that we need to consider, and that we need to heed, and that we need to exhibit in our lives. This response comes to us from Psalm 146. And it's given in, in the context of the politics of our world. So it's an appropriate response to consider today. It's a call to a response of the worship and praise of the Lord. If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to open it to Psalm 146 and to follow along with me as we, as we work our way through this passage. So let's, let's look at what the scriptures say as to why our response to these days, regardless of the ultimate outcome of, of this or of any election, why uh, the, the scriptures say that our response should be one of worship and of praise. In verse 1 and verse 2, we read, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. This psalm, it opens with a a call to give praise to God every day, all of our lives, as long as we live. That necessarily includes good times and bad times. The times of victory and times of defeat. The times that feel hopeful and times that feel hopeless. We are to be a people with the praise of God forever on our lips. Now, for some of you, that may seem easier than for others on a day like today. If you were hoping that Biden would be elected president and now he's won the election, you may think, hey, praise and worship comes pretty easy today. It's easy to give praise to God when you think that he's put the right person into office and, and you're excited about where things are headed. Praise to God comes, comes easily to our lips in those moments. On the other hand, if you were hoping that Trump would be reelected, then you may think, I don't feel very much like praise and worship today. Because the third person that I thought was was best suited to lead the country didn't get elected. And I'm concerned about the direction that our country is going. I'm not thankful for what has happened. And so depending upon who you were hoping would win the election, the response of praise and worship and thankfulness either comes easier or it's more difficult to conjure up. Which is natural, but which also totally misses the point of this call to praise and worship in the Psalms. Because what we see in the rest of this passage 
is that while this call to praise and worship is given in the midst of a political context, that context has absolutely nothing to do with the politics of our world. In fact, this call to praise and worship is given despite the politics of this world. Look with me at the next verse to see what I mean. In verse 3, the psalmist writes, Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. And then down at the end of the psalm in verse 10, we are reminded that it is the Lord who reigns forever. This psalm calls us to, to the praise and the worship of God in the context of a political realm, but it is the reigning and the ruling that takes place in the kingdom of heaven that gives us a constant reason to praise, not the reigning and ruling that takes place in the kingdoms of this world. This call to praise has absolutely nothing to do with what's going on in this world. What happens here on earth is, is ultimately insignificant to this call for us to praise and worship God. This is the point that we ultimately made last week about how Jesus really feels about, about politics of the kingdoms of this world. He thinks they're inconsequential compared to what's going on in the kingdom of God. No matter what happens here on earth, it should never have an impact on our ability to give praise and worship to God. And the reason for this, which the psalmist makes clear, is, is twofold. The first is because man's plans will come to nothing. Look again at verse 3 and 4, where the psalmist says, Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. The psalmist states that we shouldn't put our hope or our trust in any human leader because they cannot save you. They cannot give you what you need. They will all pass away, and when they do, their plans will perish with them. This is a reminder about the, the fragility and the mortality and the relative insignificance of human beings and their plans in light of the work of God in this world. What he's saying is that leaders will come and go. Kings and emperors and dictators and presidents will come and go. But when they do go, their plans and their schemes will go with them. Many times in the scriptures, humanity is described like the grass. The kings and presidents, they, they can seem so powerful, but, but the prophet Isaiah tells us that all people are like grass. And all of their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are like grass, but the word of our God endures forever. Or, or Psalm 37 that says, Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong, for like grass they will soon wither. Like green plants they will soon die away. <laughs> Neither my wife nor I have a, have a green thumb. We, we struggle to keep plants alive in our house. You actually wouldn't believe how quickly a plant can die under our care. Here today, gone tomorrow. We've literally seen it happen in our home. Apart from God, the plans of man will come to nothing. As a result, we shouldn't be too focused on them. In support or in opposition. In hope or in despair. 
If you're really encouraged by Joe Biden's victory, don't be too encouraged. He's an old man. He's going to die soon, relatively speaking, and in light of God's timing. He's not going to accomplish what you hope he will accomplish. And even if he did, it wouldn't last because someone will come in behind him and change it. He's not going to make that much of a difference. Don't be too excited. On the other hand, if you're discouraged by Trump's defeat and you're, you're really concerned about where the country might be headed under Democratic leadership, don't be too discouraged. They're going to return to the earth and their plans are going to perish with them. They ultimately come to nothing. And for that, we actually give praise to God. Because of that, we reorient our hopes away from the things of this world and towards Him. Because of that, we surrender our fears of what might happen in this world unto Him. Man's plans will come to nothing. That's the first thing that we need to be reminded of this morning. And that's the first reason that we are to give praise to God. Can you imagine how many Californians would avoid election stress disorder if they would simply realize this reality? Can you imagine how much more peace you might experience if you remembered it? Man's plans come to nothing. And so we give our praise to God and to God alone. And some of you may argue that, that you know that's true in an ultimate sense, that eventually God will make all things right, but But what about today? What about the next four years? What about the people who may suffer under an increasingly secular liberal government? What about the unborn? The thousands upon thousands of unborn children for whom the Democratic Party would like to make it easier to terminate their lives under the banner of women's rights. We're called to be a concern for the voiceless. These are the most voiceless of all of the voiceless. What about them? Or what about young and impressionable children and adolescents who who are struggling with their understanding of of gender and their sense of identity in this world and and who are trying to figure out their moral sexual ethic? What about the confusion that they will experience and the pain that they might encounter as a misguided progressive morality and worldview is increasingly espoused and championed? What about the ultimate suffering that they might endure as a result of of this confusion and misguided direction? What about the poor and the uneducated rural Americans who, who are facing real economic hardship and who have never felt seen or heard or valued by the coastal educated urban elite? What about their sense of, of belonging? What about all of the suffering that's occurring now and that could potentially get worse as a result of this election? That's a real and a legitimate question. And I hope that that we'll be a church that will never be okay with any amount of suffering or the devaluing of life on behalf of any groups of people. And that very concern brings us to the second reason in this psalm why our appropriate response on this day and on every day should be one of worship and praise to God. And that reason is this. It's because despite of all of the suffering that may go on around us, this psalm tells us that the Lord is in control and that He is the one who cares for the well-being of all of His creation. That's what verses 5 through 10 tell us. 
Verse 10 tells us that the Lord reigns forever. He rules over all of His creation. He is the King of kings. He's the President of presidents. Joe Biden won't be in power. Whichever party ends up in control of Congress won't have any power. No, no government entity has any power or authority except that which is given to them by God. The Lord has all of the power. And verse 6 through 9 shows us that he uses his power only and always for good. Look with me at verses 5 and 6. It says, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. God created everything, and he cares faithfully for all that his hands have made. And the rest of this psalm shows us how he does that. Verse 7, he executes justice for the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. This psalm, it doesn't deny that there are vulnerable people. And and it doesn't say that there is not suffering. It doesn't deny that there's suffering. Oppressed people are vulnerable. They do suffer. Hungry people, which the Scriptures acknowledge, they are vulnerable. They do suffer. I could go all the way through this list. The psalm isn't denying the reality of vulnerability and suffering in this world. But what it is doing is affirming that everywhere that vulnerability and suffering exists, the oppressed, the hungry, the incarcerated, the handicapped, those who are bowed down, the the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow. We could add to that list the unborn, the uneducated, the, the, the poor. What this psalm is saying is that the Lord is with those who are vulnerable in the midst of their suffering, watching over them and caring for them making right what has been done wrong. The oppressed are upheld. The the hungry are fed. The prisoner is set free. The foreigner is watched over. The fatherless is sustained. Everywhere that someone is vulnerable in this world, Psalm 146 tells us that the Lord is with them in the midst of their vulnerability, watching over them and caring for them, making right what has been wrong. And the reason that we know that this is true, the reason that we know that the Lord is with the vulnerable is because that is how He appeared to us when He came to this earth in the person of Jesus. When Jesus was a very small child, His life was nearly eliminated before it had really gotten started in a mass infanticide. And Jesus knows how cruelly the very smallest of children can be treated. As a result of that, he and his family became political refugees, losing their home because of forces that were beyond their control. Jesus was was a poor, blue-collar worker. He knows what that struggle is like. He lived much of his life on, on the welfare and support of others. Jesus knew the challenges of living under a secular, pagan government. His religious rights were oppressed by the powers of this world as he was falsely accused, unjustly imprisoned, and wrongly condemned. 
During his life here on earth, Jesus was the poor and the oppressed. He was the vulnerable. And Jesus endured all of that oppression, not just to associate with the suffering of this world, but to actually bear the suffering of the world for the world. For through his sacrificial death upon the cross, Jesus bore the sin and the suffering of this world in himself so that you and I ultimately wouldn't have to. Jesus is the champion of all who suffer. He is caring for the unborn and the sick and the poor and the forgotten better than we ever could. So it is in Him that we have our hope. That's what we saw in our gospel reading today from Luke chapter 7. The disciples who were looking for one to put their faith in, for one to put their hope in, for one to put their trust in, they came to Jesus and they asked Him, Are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? They're asking Jesus, are you the ruler we've been waiting for? And in response to their question, Jesus immediately began healing a bunch of people. And then he told them to go back and to report what they had seen. That the blind had received their sight. That the lame had walked. That those who had previously had leprosy were cured. That the deaf could hear and that the dead were raised. And that good news was being preached to the poor. By caring for the poor and the oppressed, Jesus identifies himself as the fulfillment of Psalm 146. And and he basically shows us that if we are going to hope in anyone, we ought to hope in him. If we are going to praise God for anything, we ought to praise him for the work that he is doing in this world through his son. This psalm reminds us that Jesus is in control of all things and that He cares for the well-being of His creation. And that will never change, no matter who is in charge on the earth. And for that, we praise the Lord. Church, there's been a a lot of emotion and and high drama over the past week, and, and there have likely been a variety of ways that you've responded. In the aftermath of the announcement yesterday and in cities across our country, there were gatherings of celebration and praise and there were gatherings of defiance and protest. Over my own social media feed yesterday, I saw many of my friends who are female or who are African-American celebrating a momentous occasion in the life of our country. And all of that's fine. But what Psalm 146 reminds us is to keep it all in proper perspective. The sky is not parting, and heaven is not coming down because Joe Biden won. And at the same time, the sky is not falling. The world isn't coming to an end because Donald Trump lost. The Democrats aren't going to save the world, and they're not going to end the world. Jesus is still on the throne. He was on the throne before they took power. He'll be on the throne after they take power. And he'll remain on the throne long after this nation and its deeply divided two-party democracy is gone from the face of this earth. The Lord is the one who is watching over us. He is the one who faithfully cares for us. So in the midst of your praise for this election, or in the midst of your protest over it, As children of God, let us not forget our most important response to it all. 
praise the Lord. Praise the Lord with all of your souls. Let us praise the Lord for as long as we live, because He reigns forever. Let us praise the Lord.